you have to have the the tenacity to go out on the mission of like making bad art for a little bit so that you can make good art. Mm. And it's like the people that are out here and they're like just willing to make art, you know, for art's sake and to push their craft are the ones that I go in three years, you're going to be a problem. Like you're going to be my competition. Mm. And, but like the people that are like only shooting when they're getting gigs is like, bro, like this is, this is dog eat dog. This is guerrilla warfare. Like everyone is gunning for your job. And if you're only learning when a client is paying you to learn, like somebody else is coming for your spot. Welcome back everyone to another episode of the rough cut club. I am the co-host, but host today, Shane Reitzhammer back in the studio with my man, my good friend, Joey Nicotra, how are you, bro? And also, did I nail the intro? Bro, you just, you might have just taken the host position because you might have done my intro better than I do my intro, bro. That was really, <laughs> really done with excellence, man. Dude, what we should do is like put a competition online because I feel like, dude, I, I love how you open the shows and you've got like this rhythm to it and it pumps me up and I'm like, all right, my part's coming and I got to tell you about the <laughs> Dallas weather or something stupid, you know, I need to, I need to work on my part, but we should hold a competition who can do the best Joey opener uh, <laughs> imitation and like post tag us on Instagram and we'll send you something I like we'll it. send the, the, the best video, the best imitation uh, to somebody I, and extra points for maybe hat and clothes that, hat you know, clothes, man. Hey, let's if go. You, if you can do my intro better than I do my intro, we might just have to do an episode with you because you're oh. qualified for the podcast. My That's friend. Awesome. Well, today is a very special day. We are going to do a, Fun episode of Meet Your Host. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I'm in the driver's seat today. Buckle up. It's going to probably be bumpy. <laughs> um, but I'm I super excited because we have a very special guest in the studio today. An ex-sponsored competitive athlete skateboarder. DP of over probably way more than a thousand plus videos. I'd probably dare say 2,000 videos. Love maybe it. somewhere in between that award-winning short film director, award-winning documentary DP, multiple award-winning commercial DP, Addy Awards, so many things, podcast host, Alchemy Festival founder, what? What is that? We'll get into that later. Real estate mogul in the making, creative director at Cinema Story, and my good friend and business partner, Joey Nicotra. Gosh dang, I gotta slap your knee. That was so good, man. That was quite the intro, bro. It feels good, man, to be on the other side of this, but I didn't even know myself as well as you know me, man. That was great. <laughs> hey, I've been taking notes, dude. Your pump up, I think that's what we get from all of our guests. They're like, dude, can you follow me around and just <laughs> say that every once in a while and make man. me feel good? But you know, it's nice, man. I think, you know, a lot of times we're so, and now I'm going to get deep for a second, but sometimes we're so critical on ourselves and yeah. we're like, yeah, you know, we've talked about identity on this show. We've talked about different stages of life, but when you have somebody else analyze and think it. And so I, even today, I, you know, I was preparing for this. I'm like, all right, what, let me, you know, how many different ways have I known Joey? And I started yeah. listening. And this isn't even all, guys. This is just all that I could fit in without, like, passing out. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I run through this. And it's good, man. I think you need people in your corner. And I hope you know that I'm in your corner. And yeah, I'm sure man. hopefully listeners know we're we're fully behind you guys as you're out there trying to uh, traverse the, the waves of filmmaking and business. But 
enough padding on the back. I got some more of that to do I later. I mean, the crazy thing, this guy isn't even 30 yet, folks, and he's making everyone look lazy in the game. <laughs> I mean, festivals to kick flips to house flips to films, right? Wow. Yeah. How about that alliteration that was, with the F? Bro, I am impressed with you. I think I'm actually blushing in the uh, studio right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. So this is great. Joey, first off, and this is probably too big of a question, but how do you fit it all in, man? How do you do it? Honestly, man, um, that I'm still trying to work on it, <laughs> but it's it's a lot. I will say that I have been really working. One of one of the things that I've been working on over the last year is really being disciplined with how I manage my time and trying to get better at delegating certain things. I mm. think it's really hard for you know entrepreneurs in general but artists especially to start being letting go of certain things and delegating you know pieces of the art itself like mm. man it's just hard when you want to do all of the everything oh, yeah. but like you know everyone talks about delegating being so hard for entrepreneurs but delegating as an artist is a totally different animal mm. man and so i've been working internally on letting go of pieces of the art and trying to do only what i can do and i'm nowhere near as good as i can be but working on delegating and time management has been a huge pillar of what I've been working on over the last couple of years. That's great, dude. And you, you've said several times on the show, like you, uh, correlate like DP work to yeah. painting on a canvas. And with you just saying that, you know, you know, cause I, in the entrepreneur world, delegation is the name of the game. Right. right? And it's something that I still struggle with and I work on, but the more you can replace yourself and get right. out of the scenario, the bigger you'll grow and the faster you'll grow. Yeah. And in art, it is a little different. And I'm thinking like with your painting yeah. example, you're letting somebody else either stroke uh, on your canvas it, or maybe mix your paint that you then have to use on your canvas, just using yeah. this analogy. Right? And yeah, that is hard, man. That's a, that's a lot of trust, and you have to let go yeah. a little bit, just like in the entrepreneurial world of, you know, yeah. okay, I got they might not do it exactly like me. That stroke yeah. might not be the same, but I can paint more right. or a bigger picture or maybe even a better picture. Sometimes yep. when you let other people step in and and help and uh, bring it all together, you nailed it, man. And like part of part of my journey in the last several years has been learning to work as a team to mm. make all of these things happen. And so, like you know, you mentioned like a thousand videos that you know we created this year. Or I worked on or like the award-winning whatever like all of that stuff couldn't have been done without other people involved mm. and so one of the things that I've really been trying to grow in is just my leadership within those roles mm. and like developing teams of people that uh, can catch part of my vision and then help bring it to life and then the more that I can work with that same team and kind of you know have my vision embedded in them the more that I'm able to, you know, see my canvas come to life without me being the one to paint all the brushstrokes. Mm. And, and it's tough, but it, it's, it's a, it's a learning curve, but it has been very fulfilling to, you know, give editing up and then wake up in the morning and have like a draft of like something that I DP'd and be like, man, I didn't have to do all of the editing. And is it different than I would have done it? Maybe a little bit, but I can give feedback and I can get it like, 85% of what I would have done. And maybe it's 115 because they just totally destroyed what I could have done myself. And so it's this give and take, but I think learning to, you know, work as a team, you know, leader has been totally 
uh, incremental in helping me do festivals to commercials to everything we do in the company and um, you know amongst being a husband man and oh yeah talk about team flipping. talk about yeah. teamwork right there husband and wife that is the that, ultimate team the ultimate team man so so for people that don't know what a day in the life of yeah. Joey Nakotra or a week in the life or a month in the life like yeah just run me through you don't have to get specific but like yeah. What is what does a month or a week look like? Because I know you do such a variety of things, right? We do a ton of stuff yeah. together. I know you do a lot of stuff, you know, on your own. You're, you're doing this real estate stuff. You are married, so just pull back the curtains a little bit, man. Let's get intimate here. I love what it. does a day, a week, uh, even a month with Joey Nakotra look like? Yeah, man. I think that you know, for me, uh, there's I don't someone someone said it's. There's like a acronym. I think it's fresh, but I, I use like the five F's, right? So there's there's faith, family, finances, friends, and well, I, there's a there's a fifth F. I can't remember what it is. Uh, fitness. Mm. There it is. So like those five F's, right, are like the five pillars of my life that I'm constantly analyzing. Like, how am I doing in my faith? How am I doing with my family, whether that is my immediate family or just me and my spouse? Uh, where am I with my friends? Like that's one that easily gets thrown out the wayside. Mm. Um, but I'm trying to make it more of a point to just be intentional about hitting my friends up and like going and grabbing a drink or playing a game of billiards or something. You know what I mean? Um, and then, you know, uh, fit, uh, like fitness, going to the gym and going to church, spending time with God. And so I think that I'm constantly analyzing those five F's and auditing which bucket needs water that mm. day or how much water can I give to that bucket during the first hour or, you know, last hour of my day. And so um, it's really easy for me to prioritize you know, just going in on the career bucket and then letting everything else suffer come like second or third place. And so I've really been trying to give um, adequate amounts of attention to each of the pillars in my life uh, in the five F categories. And a lot of times that looks like living out of to-do lists and living out of to-do reminders and, and you know, holding myself accountable to due dates that I set for certain projects. And if I got to bump stuff back, like really auditing like, today, what is the number one thing that I can do to advance the ball down the field in the most productive way possible that allows me to go to sleep at the end of the night with fulfillment? Man, that's right. Another F, fulfillment. After you, it, after you treat all five of those buckets yeah. uh, with equal respect, man, that is, that's great. I love that. And yeah, dude, you are a busy guy. I know you are. You crush it within the company. You are on the majority of our sets. And then, you know, I know that you, you know, you freelance out on projects. Uh, you know, I know there's feature films, you know, that are, you're in the works and yeah. talks with. So, you know, I'm, I'm super stoked Thanks, that we get man. to do this podcast together and we get to dive in to That's some right. of those things. But before we kind of go deep dives into some of the things that, um, you know, might give our audience uh, inside uh, yeah. track to maybe a fast track to stuff like being a feature film director. Yep. I want to talk about your backstory, dude, because, you know, I know a lot of it. I love hearing it because I pick up new details yeah. each time. But, you know, you didn't just wake up and you were already doing all this stuff, right? Yeah. And I've seen you add more and more to your creative uh, bucket, right? Whether that's in finances or faith or 
family, whatever it is, right? I've seen you add more and more into those. Yep. And so that's why those to-do lists are super right. important, right? right. Man, it, 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 drowning. So um, let's go back. Tell me, how did you get into filmmaking in the first place, man? Yeah, man. My filmmaking journey actually started, uh, I've talked about it on the podcast uh, a couple of times in passing, but through skateboarding. And mm. so like growing up as a skateboarder, you know, video wasn't what it was then as it is now. And so like filmmakers were like, the prized commodity within the skateboarding community because, you know, we didn't have video on our cell phones. We didn't have, uh, most people didn't have access to a camera or like the simple tools to edit the video didn't exist. It was like going in and transcoding media from like a mini DV tape or a mini DVD or, you know, something like that. And it, it was something that like you really had to pour into learning how to learn to edit and as skateboarders, we were constantly trying to make videos, home videos, street skating videos. Um, and so I grew up like my whole mission was to get as much footage as I could from other people that filmed. And that looked like networking mm. because there was all these people skating that wanted to make videos, but there was not a lot of people filming them at the time. Mm. And so, you know, building relationships, making skate videos, being on the other side of the camera uh, was really like my intro to like filmmaking and it was never like cinematic. It was never, um, you know, it was always just like, how can I highlight the top level of my athletic ability? And, you know, fast forwarding through that, uh, that journey, I <clears throat> wound up getting kind of injured out of the sport at 20 years old, had a broken back, uh, rebroke my back, had multiple broken ankles, sprained ankle injuries and it just was one of those things that it became very, uh, very clear to me that that season in my life was coming to a close and it was devastating. Mm. Like, like without a doubt, like crying like a baby because mm. I knew I could never do what I love to do again. And I like, mm. I knew it, like I knew there was no going back to the season and I took some time and, and dabbled in some other arts. Uh, at the time I was like messing with music and, uh, spoken word poetry and performing and mm. um, had some cool like uh, some cool wins like I had some artists at the time that I got to open up for oh. and perform on stages of like 3,000 people like wow. doing like written spoken word stuff and hip-hop music and uh, you know at that time I started really becoming more interested in doing music videos with my friends who were making music and I started auditing my time and going, man, all my effort and energy is going into like how I can better these videos for these people. And like, I, I was making a little bit of money doing, you know, the music stuff at the time, nothing crazy. Um, but I was able to really quickly turn a profit and video. Mm. Um, and I was like, man, this is, this could be something lucrative. This is something that I'm wanting to spend more time in and, I'm going to go pursue this and see this through. Um, it's kind of a long answer and there's, there's more to it, but ultimately skateboarding led to music, which led to music videos, which led to falling in love with the craft. Dude, that's, that's awesome. I got to jump in just for a second. Cause it's, it's super interesting. Something I picked up that you said. So back when you were skateboarding, there was a lot of people that want to be filmed. There wasn't as many, filmmakers yeah. right by the way i was one of those guys that was filming. shout out to you you bro. and i, I would have been we, great friends back in the day i wish we knew so other. yeah i was like you know 10 years yeah. you know uh, <laughs> earlier the um then you say in and i don't know if you explicitly said this but 
the musical artist, you saw the need as well, right? Like there's a lot of artists that needed content made, yeah. right? Music videos. And so it's interesting. It's kind of like the thing that everybody needs. Maybe does not everybody wants to do it. They'd rather be on the other side of the camera, right? right? You know, because that was their craft. Just like you, skateboarding, that was your thing Tell you, you know, um, injured out of the sport. Yeah. And now I think there's such a wave now, like filmmaking is glorified. Like I feel 100%. like online, everybody wants to watch the BTS stuff. Everybody wants yeah. to be the camera guy. Everybody wants to be the DP, yeah. the director, the producer. It's so interesting. And now I almost feel like there's less of people wanting to be on the other side of the right. camera. Even this podcast, you kind of had to twist my arm to come on the yeah. show to do the podcast. Cause I'm like, no, I want to be on the other side of it. Right. I want to be on the switcher board, you know, and stuff right. like nerding out with all the gear. Um, anyways, I, interesting Switch, you know, change in our own industry yeah. and marketplace of probably like, eh, not like the most favorited job. And I think I think you can look this up. I could be off because I probably got this off social media, and we can't yeah. trust anything on there. <laughs> but it was it was something about you know influencers were like the number one job that people wanted to do. Unfortunately, like kids looking yeah. up, being like, I want to be an influencer, and then videographer or like filmmaking was super high up. So there. cool. Yeah, and it's it's uh and and uh, I've heard you know again other influencers talk about that it is a very lucrative industry and yeah. a lot of people are getting into it. It is a little oversaturated now, totally. Um, but you know everybody shoots their shot. I I think back to when I started, like I made the commitment to become a filmmaker, and at the time, like of course there was you know it was a profession and and it was you know. There was many, there was plenty of jobs to go around, but it wasn't what it was today. Right. And this was back in, I think, 2013, no, 2015. I made like a dedicated commitment mm. that I'm going to be a filmmaker. Like I'm leaving everything else that I've ever pursued behind and like I'm going to be a filmmaker. And at that time, you know, that was almost nine years ago. Um, like I thought I was going into an industry that didn't have money in it. Like at the time I was like, crazy? it yeah. is. And I was like, I don't even know what kind of jobs are out there at the time. And I kind of went into it like very naive because it was just something that I had like grown up doing my whole life and I couldn't see myself doing anything else mm. at the time. But I was like, I'm going to be like a starving artist and I'm going to go for it. Like at the yeah. time I didn't even think that it was a bright future. Really. I was just like, this is what I want to do. Right. And it, I never even thought about the money. I never even freelanced while I was in school. It's like kind of mm. weird to like, look back at that season and go, I was just getting through college and filming the whole time on stuff that I wanted to do, like making music videos for my friends, never thinking about how I'm going to turn this into a business until I graduated. And I'm like, I'm going to freelance. And I don't even know what that means. I haven't even really thought about like, what this entails other than the fact that I'm going to do it. Mm. And that's just like brutal, transparent honesty. Like I never ever went into the craft thinking about like, this is a financially like uh lucrative endeavor that I'm about to pursue. It's, it was always just like, this is the only other thing that I think makes sense for me. Yeah. And, and now it is a saturated market. The tools are easier. They're more accessible and and it's a different climate, man. Yeah. So. And it's a financially very uh, lucrative market. It can be, can be. And so, yeah, we both like filmmaking yeah. before it was cool, bro. We can, come on. We got, yes. we got in before it was Seriously, cool. <laughs> there's a, there's a clip on the internet that I saw. I think it's of Kevin O'Leary, the Shark Tank dude. Yeah. Um, and he posted like, you know, if you, if you were to ask me like two to three years ago, like mm. what the best, uh, like 
college career path to go down, I would have told you the top three were engineering, engineering, and engineering. Mm -hmm. And he goes, that answer has changed now. And in 2023, now 2024, the number one thing that I tell people to go do is go learn how to tell stories through video. Yeah. And that's like literally one of the highest demanded uh, trades that someone can have right now. And that wasn't the case when we got started. hundred percent. We saw the same video. We yeah. probably even shared it on Instagram, but I like, I could see the clip yeah. as you were saying it, man. So, you know, it sounds like you went through what a lot of us go through. And I think it doesn't matter if you're in filmmaking, this applies to a lot of people, unless you, you do go to school to be a doctor and you become a doctor and you stay a doctor the rest yeah. of your life, your career. Right. I feel like, millennials, Gen Z, there is a lot of what we call like career hopping or career, our yeah. identity changing, right? And it's very accepted now. Like if you go back to 1950s, 60s, 70s even, people stayed within a career their entire life and they wanted to retire with that company, right? And then there was a shift, uh, and I dates might be off, I think it was 70s or 80s, um, definitely in the 90s, you know, with uh, Silicon Valley, you know, tech boom, everybody's jumping jobs and jumping up the career ladder. So there's this huge change. And so now, even now we're in a new phase of, um, career where it is the freelance world, right? Everybody wants to work for themselves or, or a lot of people do, or they want to work uh, remote or part-time and maybe have several different gigs. Right. And so there's this like freedom now that everybody is seeking in careers. And so, you know, talking about identity, mm -hmm. right. You had all these identity changes, um, from skateboarder to musician or, or artist and then into filmmaking. What carried over from some of those from skateboarding from, cause I, I think everything, our journey, like it all builds up and there's a purpose. Like there's, yeah. it's not, uh, we, we, we had this in an episode right before this, you know, it's not uh, a dead end alley. I think it's actually the alley or the street that's getting you to the next neighborhood as, uh, uh, Tom Totter really eloquently said in the episode prior. So what did you take from skateboarding and from music that you see yourself applying in filmmaking? I think it's three things that immediately come to mind. I think the first one is, um, you know, going back to skateboarding, uh, whenever you're looking at the world through the lens of a skateboarder, I would be driving in my car and as I'm driving on the side of the road, I'm analyzing the entire time what could be skated. Mm -hmm. And this is just like how my mind works. So like if I'm seeing like a stair set and I'm like, I look at it and I immediately see there's a smooth runway, there's a smooth landing, there's nothing interfering with me being able to go and skate this spot. And then I immediately go, I have a clip in mind for this. And so mm. that's literally just how my mind works is like, even now I can't help it. Like I, I skate maybe like four or five times a year, but I dr I'm driving and I'm like 15 year old me would have shredded on that spot. <laughs> and, and so when I'm constantly looking at the world, I'm analyzing it through the lens of what can I creatively accomplish here? Mm. And so I think when I come to a film location, I immediately take that to the location and I go, what kind of composition can I execute here? Like immediately analyzing what the light is doing and like, what can I creatively bring to this space to the, tell my story to the you know best of my ability. And so I think I took a lot of that, just like analyzing of the environment mm. to 
um, filmmaking. And it's like, obviously as a, you know, a filmmaker, you go and you location scout and whatnot, but I've really, really been training myself through one lens or another to look at the environments that I'm placed in and see what can I bring to this, to this, uh, this scene. Mm. And so I think that's one thing I think too. And I've talked about this being my competitive advantage as a filmmaker, but I think that my mental resistance to failure is something that as a skateboarder, you're constantly going, uh, you know, to fail a thousand times so you can land the trick once. Mm. And, and the, the feeling of landing the trick once makes the 999 previous times worth it. Mm. And the journey to say, this is going to suck for a while and I'm not going to be good at this for a long time, but having the mental tenacity to go like, I'm going to make really bad art for the next three years <laughs> so that I can get to the point to where I can make a final product that I'm proud of mm. and that gives me fulfillment. And so I think that's another thing that just like the determination to continue against adversity is something, you know, even with this house flipping project that I did, I've talked about it a little bit, but I just set out to do a two and a half year, um, I don't, I don't want to say the number of like how much money necessarily went into this, but it makes me want to throw up when I talk about how much money that went into this thing. Mm. But at the end of the day it was a success mm. and it was like two and a half years of grit to accomplish that. I think, I don't, I don't think that I would have been able to do had I not been a skateboarder. Mm. And the last thing that I would say is like the, I, I look at my journey as a filmmaker and think that every aspect of my life prior has always been centered around the entertainment industry. Mm. And and I love being an entertainer, whether that's through skateboarding and making skate videos that entertain their audience, um, whether that's making music videos that make people enjoy the music more. Like think back to a music video um, mm. or, or even a concert, right? That had like just a crazy visual experience uh, that stuff stays with you forever. Mm. And, and I've loved being a part of entertaining an audience through my visual expression to where they hang on to something, you know, way past just that day when they watch the video, it stays with them and makes an impact on them. So I think those three things are something that skateboarding and music really gave me, gave filmmaking, you know, for me. <laughs> makes me want to go like skateboard, bro. You it. had this competitive advantage and man, I, you know, I've heard the, the thing about, you know, failing so many times. And I do get that with competitive sports. You see that a lot with filmmakers yeah. that have done that. You know, you put in the reps to hit the one home run or land the one trick, you know, Mark Cuban in his book, uh, um, the sport of business, yeah. right? It's like, you can fail a million times. All you have to be right is once and the dude's billionaire over yeah. multiple times. He's, he was right a couple more <laughs> right. times than right, once, right, right, right? And that's the goal is like, all you got to do is hit a couple of winners, right? And so, man, that's that's great. I feel like I know how your brain works now yeah. more. Like when we're in the car driving somewhere, I'm going to be like, oh, that Joey's zoning out because he's looking for the next <laughs> spot to land Bro, his it, skateboard. It's so funny. Like you can talk to my wife and I'll pass a spot that we like routinely go by. And she like I'll have told her like over the course of three years, like it'll be the seventh time. And I'm like, you know, I used to grow up like skating that. And she's like, 
you've literally told me this so many times. Like, stop telling me there's a skate spot. Like, right when we pass this, we drive. Well, you told me like seven times. I'm like, yeah, but it'll be so good to skate now. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I love it. I love it, dude. We got to get you one of those little finger like skateboards. Tech decks, bro. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh, dude. dude they, I used then to, you could not injure yourself for literally. when I need you on set. There I you used to. I used to back in the day as a kid, like take those and like take them apart and like swap the wheels and the trucks and all this stuff. And then I got into like re-gripping them with like professional grip tape. Oh my god! And I would take a lighter and I would like warm up the rubber and I would like re like do the concave to them so I could like do the tricks better. Dude, I'm telling you, what's I hope there's video. Con- did you make any videos of this? this I, be- I don't think I did of tech de- tech decking, but I will say this: this is a little like rough cut club Easter egg. I have a really bad fidgeting problem, and like I'm, we can probably go back. We need to do this. Go back through like the last forty episodes when I'm talking or like zoning out. I'm actually like skateboarding with a pen in my hand, ah. like, and it's my fidget like, like oh, comfort we, zone. We got to cut so some of that together. I'm like secretly doing skateboard tricks with my pen. And I guarantee you it's woven all throughout the last like 40 episodes. Dude, bro. I just thought you were really bad at twirling a pin it's with your funny. fingers. I'm literally doing, doing tricks. like, oh yeah, this I is I didn't a- want to say anything, but I'm like, I think he needs help. No, the I'm pen. literally doing skateboard <laughs> tricks with my with my pen in my hand because I'm just so addicted and I have a I have a disease. Oh, that's so great, <laughs> dude. Yeah, we gotta run a clip back. That would be that'll be a blast. Well, Moving on to yeah. my next thing. This is a tough one, dude. I, and you, you don't have to have the perfect answer because I think this answer changes. I know it's changed for me. Why do you do it mm. now, today? What keeps you going? What keeps... And you might have answered it in that third little bit yeah. that you did there, but why filmmaking? Why do you keep doing it? I, I am constantly chasing the feeling of rolling away on a skateboard. And I feel like I get that when I watch the final product of a video that I really did with excellence. I get the high of watching that and being like, "Mm, chef's kiss. (laughs) And like, literally, I'm chasing that feeling. It's a high for me to watch something that I'm like, that was powerful. That was beautiful. That was incredible. Like, I get the same feeling of just a rush, you know, of accomplishment, I think is what it is. You know, when you get to do something with excellence and it succeeds, like there's a rush and a dopamine hit that comes with that. And I love, I love getting that feeling one, but two, like I really truly love the process of personal development. Mm. And like, I, you know, I read a ton of personal development, um, you know, books and follow personal development accounts and, you know, spend time in my life trying to focus on what's the, what's the pillar of me that can be better. And I get a lot of fulfillment. And I think it's honestly just, you know, the duty of, I don't, I don't want to be sexist here because I think it's, it's a universal thing, but I think for men, like a lot of men are called to lead, whether that's leading their families or, you know, somebody in their life. And I think that part of me being a leader is focusing on how I can do what I'm doing in life with more excellence today than yesterday. Mm. And, and so, and and again, that applies to men and women, but I think specifically like as a leader on set, like I need to be continually honing my craft and I love honing my craft, man. I love pouring like time into how I can make light softer or how I can, you know, like move a camera in a way that moves an audience. Mm. 
and uh, just tell better stories that makes a bigger impact. And so I love the pursuit of growing in a craft and then also my craft, you know, giving me the rush of like, you did this, you did this well. Mm. Speaking of the pursuit of growing, you uh, have impressed me and I've known you for uh, most of your film career. And, you know, there was a couple of years, (laughs) like you said, in 2015, I think we met in 2017, started working together. Um, let's dive into that a little bit. Cause I love, and I'm jumping way ahead and you might want to go back and you talk about music videos and, you know, maybe tell us a little bit about what you cut your teeth on, but you, you only were in the industry if I'm not mistaken now with that two years, I guess, 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to call it two seven, yeah, 2017 2017 is officially when you started yeah. professionally, you know, you started working with me, other companies as well, other brands, other, other, you know, even as your own brand. Um, and made my two, first filmmaking paycheck in 2017. There you go. And in two years, you're on a feature film set being the BTS, uh, videographer on a, on a feature film. Yeah. And then in four years from 2017, maybe three, three years three and change, you're on a feature film set in camera department and then a little bit after that, like sh- very shortly after that, you're the DP on a feature film. Yeah. Right? That's pretty unheard of uh, in the industry. I mean, it's not unheard of. It's just, it's a very fast ramp. Even I look back at what I did, right? So I've I've done shorts and documentaries and reality TV and, and features. Yeah. And it wasn't that fast. You went fast, right? Yeah. So um, talk about first off the journey to get there. Um, so what did you cut your teeth yeah. on? To, you know, take us briefly through so other people understand what it takes to get there. And then, yeah. um, you know, how did you, what, what, tell us about this first feature film and, yeah. and how did that feel? Yeah, I think the first feature, you know, that whole process is really fascinating and honestly just a, a, a godsend in general. And I think that, you know, a lot of people may do a feature in, you know, three or four years. Um but I don't think that a lot of people do the scale of the feature that I did on during that window of time. And I think that, you know, looking back, I was probably, um, I don't want to say I wasn't qualified to do the job, but I didn't have the reps of doing that scale of a project before, uh, which made, you know, some of the growing pains a little bit more challenging, like the scale of, um, you know, one of the days there was 150 people on set. Mm. And I like, but 80 extras in a battle scene and almost probably 70 something crew members, uh, between, you know, all the different departments and the staff that was there for the location and everything. Like we we were close to that, you know, 140, 150 people. And I had never been a leader, you know, of, of something to that scale before. I think the, the biggest production that I had done prior to that maybe had 12 or 13 people like Mm. total on it. And that was like a massive leap, Mm. massive leap in responsibility. And I think that, you know, to answer that question, I felt qualified from a, you know, lighting, you know, and camera and storytelling perspective. Um, And a lot of that I got from doing corporate and commercial video work. You know, a lot of times I think one of the best things, a lot of people complain about doing corporate interviews and, you know, all that stuff. I, to this day, love when I get to do an interview um, because it gives me another opportunity to learn how to light a person Mm. and lighting people in narrative work is not all that different than lighting people for an interview. 
the person may move around the scene more and you may have to plan a lighting schematic from point A to point B. But at the end of the day, almost everything that I've learned from lighting for narrative, I have taken as pieces of information that I've learned from lighting in a corporate or commercial interview or like product brand setup. Mm. And there's such an advantage to being the guy that is constantly lighting an interview because every single person that I've interviewed, like their face reacts to light differently, mm. whether they have, you know, oily or matted skin, whether their eye sockets are further back. And then, you know, like the facial structure, you know, different skin complexions read light differently and different environments. Like sometimes you're shooting in mixed lighting conditions. Sometimes you have full control. Sometimes you have no control. And it's like all these different exercises from the corporate and commercial space gave me the lighting confidence to go on to a narrative project of the scale that I did and know that I have handled every single lighting scenario that you can imagine. And now I have the mental know-how and the tools to overcome some of the obstacles that I'm faced with. And corporate and commercial interviews gave me that confidence and that ability. Mm, that's, that's awesome. You know, something I got to go back to is that there's a, um, uh, Dallas, uh, um, iconic, uh, oil, uh, company that, yeah. it, you know, it, they said that they were not opposed to assigning people that weren't quite qualified for the job because they didn't know that they couldn't do it. Yeah. And I love that because I think I remember watching you on that feature film and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm good friends with the producer and we, you know, talked about even that position and all that stuff, you know, and how you were such a great fit for it. And I, you know, I was in your corner and saying, this is, this is, this is your guy and watching you grow so much during that process because, I think you knew you had to strap in and apply all that stuff. Yeah. You, yeah. you had this huge portfolio behind you and all this experience, but like you said to that scale. And so I think that's where that skateboard mentality came yeah. back in too. Like you never thought of failure. You were always thinking of like, how are you going to succeed? And you knew yeah. that you had to put in the reps and the work. Yeah. And I think that's when you get the best results. It's when it's something that doesn't challenge you, that's when work can be sloppy. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you cut corners. You're, you're not, you don't do the prep work. You're not excited about it. It, yeah. it can be that way, right? right. And so you have to still stay very diligent in, in prep mode. But um, going to the prep and yeah. and let's let's give some value for the viewers. That And by the way, there's a whole episode on our podcast channel, and we'll try to link it in the description, where I think we dove into this about you DPing your first feature film. So I want to yeah. spend a little bit of time on this. But what are some like quick key takeaways that you could give to somebody that you learned on your first feature that might help them yeah. circumvent making a mistake or even just like, dude, this I'm so glad I did X, Y, Z because it set me up for success. Can you unpack a little bit of that? hundred percent, man. I think, you know, one of the, one of the big things in that is whether you're going into any single project that you've never done before, you can prepare and prepare and prepare. But at the end of the day, if you don't know what you don't know, it's hard to prepare for those things, right? And so all you can do is prepare as much as possible, but eventually you're gonna be thrown a curveball that you're going to have to problem solve or do some critical thinking for on the day of. And so with that project in particular, I had to approach it from a different standpoint because it wasn't going into the project and it was a clean slate for me to work off of. It was, uh, I have to come back at, you know, at halftime for this film being made 
and do what best serves the film. Mm. And so there was, in a lot of ways, some infrastructure around that film that had been built up that was very helpful, I'll be fully honest, uh, in setting me up for success, even just from like a gear standpoint, Mm. right? Like when you have three cameras and different toys that you've ever done before, like sometimes you forget a cable and Mm -hmm. it like really, really just, you know, you can't operate without the follow focus cable on Mm -hmm. it. You know, it's like you have to have it. And, and so just, uh, I think that really getting comfortable with the set, the setups that you're using, Mm. uh, was really advantageous. So like knowing the camera system well in advance, I think I had purchased, um, I had already purchased a red camera prior to doing this, but had I not, like I wouldn't have had that many reps on red prior to going into it, which would have, you know, given me less, it would have made me slower at troubleshooting some of the stuff that came up. And so I think that the more familiar you can get with the tools that you're going to be using, the better you're going to have, because, you know, in the world of tech problems just arise. Um, but I, I, I would I would be remiss to not mention the fact that having the team of people there around me that in a lot of ways, like my my key grip, he came into this and I don't even know how many features he's got under his belt. And so having a team with, you know, maybe some more reps in their department to then like lean on even you, bro. Like I remember you were on that project and you had done stuff with certain pieces of equipment that I had never touched at that point in my career, like a movie. And I was like, dude, like how can I lean on you and bring my team together with my key grip and the, you know, movie operator and trusting your director too to like direct and, and, you know, see the big picture and allow you to focus on just what you can do. And, you know, having those having the meetings in advance to really wrap my head around what we're doing and, and pre-light in my head as much as I could and make sure my team was on the same page and make sure I'm communicating. I mean, there's a whole rap sheet of things that Mm -hmm. I learned to set that project up for success, but, you know, surrounding yourself with a team of people that can be a support vessel for you, um, really helped me bring that project to life. And then just doing my due diligence to study and prepare, prepare, prepare. Man, that's so good. Uh, you know, know thy gear and then and then that team that's, you know, yeah. surrounds you. And that going back when I used to operate, I would that, when I got a new camera, I would dive in yeah. and go through every menu setting and be like, well, I don't know what this does. And you right. just turn it on and like, what did that do? Did it change? You know, now you can like watch a YouTube video and it will take you through it. But, you know, buying that red, probably super advantageous for you 100%. to go through because you know when we do hire people and it's like hey we've got a feature or a, a music video well have you shot on red yeah i've shot on red well how many times have you shot on red you know i'm not trying to be rude right. i just need to know like hey should we have like a prep day and like just get i want you to just spend time with this red yeah. together in a yeah. room alone spend some time with yeah. this know where every single thing is and so even stuff like that man is so important and people think man that's so tedious like you don't want to be figuring those things out on set sometimes you do you have right. to like there's things that like right. you said curveballs but uh i think those are two great pieces of advice multiple things and go check out the other set episode if you want to hear more about that feature film it's a great episode of just seeing the come up and then into a feature and then you know the other side of of what's been learned on that and, and i'll tack on to the back of that too because that was that was probably the number one moment in my career where preparation met opportunity. Mm. And it wasn't that I didn't have any preparation for that going into it, but it was that I was in the right place at the right time for an opportunity to come my way. But because I had prepared 
before that moment, when that moment came, yes, there was more work to be done, but it was a moment that I could have gone and said, all right, this is going to be scary. This is going to be a massive risk, but I have taken other risks prior to this moment to put me in a position to best handle this job. You landed the trick when they called your name and you hit the uh, right pipe. I'm saying all the right words. You landed it <laughs> and, and the applause, man, that's, that's great. See, I'm, I'm wrapping in the skateboard. Uh, man, you are a skateboarder at heart, brother. Hey, uh, you should see me on a ramp. Actually, last time I did a ramp, it's probably about 15 years ago, landed straight on the concrete face first. I think that was the last time. Yeah, that was the last time I did it. Anyways, um, no scars though. Uh, I want to see a clip of you skateboarding. Hopefully you have oh, one. There's gotta be some in the archives. I, I, yeah, before I, I just well decided, to... yeah, I should probably just be on the camera side yeah. of things. <laughs> um, so, okay, let's, let's dive in a little bit more. You've kind of, you know, given some, some pieces of what really helped you for that. How do you recommend, and what do you do personally? Maybe, you know, because everybody's different. What do you do currently to continue to sharpen mm. your tools as a DP? Man, that's a great question. I, you know, I still study religiously. Uh, I will forever be a student of the game and and feel like I have to sharpen my, sh- my sword. And, you know, iron sharpens iron. And so the more I can spend time with other people that are great, you know, we may know 90 to 95% of the same stuff, but if they have 5% here and I have 5% here, like we can grow if I'm working with other people who are talented. And so honestly, a lot of times for me, that looks like taking AC jobs. Mm. Um, Yeah. And so if I can go and AC for another DP and pick up little pieces of how, you know, he sets up his shots, how he preps, how he, you know, works with the director and and handles a scene with coverage and everything. Like I can then take that information, you know, pull in focus and making sure his camera's built and prepped. And then I'm like, oh, wow, I learned something today. And I mean, it happened on the last, I, I did a, a, a volume wall job uh, last week where I AC'd for another DP. And I remember leaving that and I was like, I got at least three to four things from this job that I'm going to take to the next one that I do. Mm. And like, that was a little bit of sharpening my sword. Uh, I also subscribe to American cinematographer magazine. I read those magazines, which mm. also, which has articles from some of the best in the game. Uh, I'm a subscriber to filmmaker Academy, which is, um, uh, I can't even think of his last Shane Hurlbut. Uh, you know, he's constantly, he's one of the top, you know, DPs in the industry and one of the top educators around cinematography, um, I study from him and then, you know, there's, there's a ton of YouTube content out there. I subscribe, I consume YouTube content. And then honestly, at the end of the day, man, the, the best teacher is just trial and error. Mm. And so like, I'm not afraid of experimenting with different techniques to then learn, you know, with some hands-on experience, like how something works. And so I love, I love when I get an opportunity with a client to then test a new, you know, theory and, and, you know, have the flexibility on the job to see what works and what doesn't, how can I refine it? If they've given me enough time to do this well, like maybe my first setup wasn't perfect, but I was able to then, you know, flip something or tweak something and then go next time I'll do this a little bit better. And it's becoming a little bit more efficient, a little bit more consistent and, um, just having a little bit more technical nuance to my craft, uh, when the client allows me the opportunity to spread my wings. Mm. That's, that's so good. And this question is kind of a follow-up. You've kind of given a lot of like gold right there, but I want you to go back in your mind because you've done this 
for some of our interns, right, yeah. at, at Cinema Story. And you're talking to somebody that wants to get into camera department and become, you know, they, they're they they're saying, man, Joey's a DP and I want to, like, that's the, you know, we have different, like, programs in the company. Like, do you want to do camera? Do you want to do producer? You know, okay, these are the people you're going to track and follow. And so when you've talked to them before, give give our listeners, you know, and this is for the people that are, you know, that was what you just said there is for people that just started out and that's deep in the game, right? Those are some hot tips. But if I was somebody just starting out, doesn't know anything, give me just, doesn't have to be perfect. Give me a step-by-step, you know, like I would, you know, we have a whole episode on film school, so we don't have to go deep into that. Uh, Tune into that episode to find out what he thinks about that. Um, But uh, just give me a quick little step-by-step. What are some quick or not, not so quick, but what are the correct steps to make it in the camera world as a freelancer? Wow. That's a loaded question. Mm. I think, you know, one of the things, one of the mistakes that I see a lot of people that are getting started make is that they just almost start moving without getting clear on where they're moving. Mm. And so like, I have people all the time that DM me, Hey, I'm thinking about getting into, you know, uh, camera work, like what camera should I buy? Mm. And like, I get this question and I'm like, well, have you gotten really clear on what you're shooting? You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like until you know what you're shooting, I don't know what camera you should buy. Mm -hmm. And so like having a really clear vision of where you want to go and and maybe you're getting started and you're interested in dabbling and you don't have that much clarity yet. But I think actually just taking a little bit of time to really sit and marinate in something and say, you know, where can I maybe see the end goal of this being as it currently stands right now is a really, really great like step one before you ever like set out to learn anything, really think about like, where is it that I want to end up? Because then you can kind of reverse engineer like, well, what are the steps to get there? Who's done it before? And then you can kind of learn from them. But I think if you know that you really want to be, you know, a camera operator or a DP or a director or a filmmaker, um, you know, it's so, so cliche, but some people, and I, I, I won't name names, but some people like really have that desire, but they're not making anything. And it's like, you have to have the, the tenacity to go out on the mission of like making bad art for a little bit so that you can make good art. Mm. And it's like the people that are out here and they're like, just willing to make art, you know, for art's sake and to push their craft are the ones that I go in three years, you're going to be a problem. Like you're going to be my competition. Mm. And, but like the people that are like, only shooting when they're getting gigs is like, bro, like this is, this is dog eat dog. This is guerrilla warfare. Like everyone is gunning for your job. And if you're only learning when a client is paying you to learn, like somebody else is coming for your spot. Mm. And so if you, you know, and so Mike drop, <laughs> mic drop moment there guys. So man, if you, you, you've got to be making art for art's sake to get the client projects, you know, having the hunger to always study and and pick up a camera and ask questions and network and go to the, you know, go to the meetups and, and put your, make yourself the dumbest person in the room. I know this is so much like just cliche stuff, but it's like being a, uh, being a big fish in a small pond is not the path to creating excellence. Being the small fish in a big pond is going to push you in a lot of ways to really figure out what you can do to elevate your craft and and rise above, you know, 
at least a, a good majority of the competition. And, and eventually it's nice to be a bigger fish in a medium pond, if you will. But I think that when you immediately go and you surround yourself with three other people and they're not nearly as good as you, like you're not being pushed if you're not pushing yourself. Mm, mm, that's good. It's, it goes back to that. You know, you don't know what you, what that you couldn't do it. Right? right. And so like, you've got to challenge yourself. You got to put yourself in those challenging situations yeah. to be able to grow. Right. Yeah. And sometimes it's swimming with the sharks and being chased and swimming for your life. Yeah. That's when you swim the fastest. You, right. Right. And yeah. dude, you put it really well right there. I really mm, like that. Yeah, I had to tag on to your analogy there. I, I like it. Yeah. So, so, uh, before I, I, uh, move on, you know, you mentioned something earlier and I'm such a book nerd like i love self-improvement books and yeah. so i feel like this is something we should wrap into our podcast more often but just give me if not your top three just give me one book that you've read recently that has impacted you hmm. um or give me your top three that other filmmakers or freelancers or even just entrepreneurs what's influenced you recently um in your film uh craft or business and and why would you recommend it you know, this, this is probably a book that, um, I mean, it was a hundred percent not made for filmmaking, uh, but it had, re it really gave me a lot of clarity around some things going on in my career, but it's actually a, um, it's a, it's a, it's a faith-based book, hmm. uh, and it's called dream to destiny actually by Robert Morris is hmm. the big pastor in gateway, but I read it and it was one of, um, you know, a lot of it is tied to faith, but the whole premise of the book is about Joseph in Genesis, like being um, thrown in a pit by his brothers and then somehow, and then like, you know, God being in the middle of that to see that his ultimate destiny was to save Egypt uh, from seven years of famine and all of the things that Joseph did on the path to get to his destiny uh, to really live out his destiny that he's getting to. And I, I applied a lot of that to my journey as a filmmaker. You know, I'm setting out on this destiny that can, that might go on for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And I look at the end goal of that and I, you know, I can't even see it perfectly right now, but knowing that all of these different things that are like really, really tough in the middle of that, like ending up in prison for years and, and, you know, being betrayed by his family and all of these like horrible, horrible things that happened to him were these pivotal, pivotal moments that without those, he never would have reached the destiny that was what God had for him. And I look at that right now in my own life and I'm like, man, I'm out on my destiny. And oddly enough, my name is Joseph. And I find like <laughs> a lot of just like, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible because yeah. I just, I see God's hand on him in getting to where he has for him. And so I think right now, like I'm, I'm looking at where, where my next move is. Um, you know, there's all these different tests in this book and, and the, each of the chapters outline a different test that he went through on his hmm. journey. But I'm looking at what are those tests that I'm really going through right now in my own life, in my career life, in my family life. And how am I handling those tests? Hmm. Cause some of them I'm failing and I need to analyze those and go, man, I, I'm being tested right now and I'm failing. Mm. And I, because of this, whether, you know, in a spiritual sense or a career sense, it all is, you know, it's talking about your destiny in life. And it's like, what are the tests right now that I am failing and how can I put dedicated attention to doing those better so that I can get to the ultimate destiny that God has for me? 
Man, I we share a lot of books back and forth. So when you're done with that, bro, pass it over. Bro. I'm going to check it out. It's it sounds- the first book that I read that I was like, you know, uh, I think uh, Gary Keller has a book called The One Thing. I think that's who it is. Or Anyway, but it, the whole idea of that is, you know, if you just focus on the one thing that matters the most, mm. um, you know, you, the, the crazy amount of things that you would see, like, transpire in your business and i read that book and i was like man this is the book that if i just read this book all year and i just got everything that was in this book in my head and ingrained like life would be great and Mm. i i I, it was the first book that i read that i was like i need to go back and reread this like probably for the rest of the year it was that good man sign me up bro got you bro shipping a copy to your house when we leave the studio there you go all right well we're we're going to unpack a little bit more value for our listeners. And this section is a little bit uh, selfish because Love this it. is for the producers and the directors, right? A lot of times when we interview yeah. DPs, it's DP to DP knowledge. And it's great. Iron sharpens iron, as you said. But I want to hear some things that producers and directors um, have done, you know, producers and pre or, or directors as well, that have set you up for success to do your job. So what are some, what are some big things that you really look for in a director or a producer that sets you up for success on a project? It's a great question. You know, as I've, as I've done my job more with different directors and been in AC with different DPs and, and whatnot, um, there's so much leadership in that that a director and producers have to take ownership on and so much of the success of a project is not determined by what they do on set but what they do before production ever starts and so even you know from just a clarity standpoint of making sure the team knows what they're doing making sure a call sheet isn't going out at nine o'clock the night before you know what I mean where it's like oh yeah I had uh, an hour before I went to bed to get my things together. Cause now I know what I'm doing. You know, I think that making sure that there is unification on, on a team level mm. really helps the project be set up for success because how often do we like get to a project and like the PA, the AC, the grip, the whatever, they have no idea what's going on. They're just waiting on, you know, someone to tell them what to do. And it's, you know, to a degree, like I understand from time to time, but when there's unity in a project and every, everybody understands like the why of the project, Mm. you know, and, and the how, and, and they feel like they're let in on the vision that the directors and the producers have been responsible for casting from the get go. Like those are the best projects to be on. Even if like stuff goes sideways, they're like, we're, we're, we're a unit going through this today. If the the weather is not for us. If talent doesn't show up on time, like we're, we're in this together and, you know, rather than like a disconnectedness. And so I think that really just bringing the team together to be one with the vision on a producer director level, you know, gets me pumped up, uh, to lead my team when I'm like, I have every bit of the directors and producers vision for this project now let me bring my vision to the camera department and the lighting team and and really help lift their vision to life rather than you know a director coming to this and being like yeah like 
whether it's an interview, right? And they're like, yeah, I'm just going to ask the questions and I know what questions I want to get, but like they don't have a vision for this, the, the final product, you know, when they've really spent the time and that's on like a, you know, a, a corporate setting or whatever, but just having like a vision that they have entrusted me to lift up, you know, I love bringing my vision to a project, but at the end of the day, like, yes, I do that from a camera and a lighting standpoint, but my job is to support the director's vision mm-hmm. and bring that to life. And when a director really clearly communicates what they want out of me, you know, sometimes those parameters are, are a beautiful thing to work within because I know like the director really, really wants to focus on, I'll give you an example, right? So in the movie, uh, the killer that was, um, I think, was it Michael Bay? I think Michael Bay's new film. Uh, it's out on Netflix. In that film, the this was one thing that I just it, it challenged me as a filmmaker. But uh, the main guy in the film never blinks. And that mm. was one of the things that was really important for him to convey in the film. And it was like this guy is just so focused as an assassin, and and it's it's nuance that's never brought up in the film. But you never watch him close his eyes during the film. And like when the team is let in on that level of being inside the mind of the character that they're trying to mm. to portray, like everyone is just like, yo, I know who we're lighting. I know who we're, mm. you know, I know who we're capturing uh, and I know what kind of person they are. And that's because the director cast the vision of who this person was and it allows the team to move differently rather than here's our talent. You know what I mean? Mm, so, so good. Now I want to go watch this uh, movie too. And when you said he didn't blink, I'm like trying to hold my eyes open as well for right? some reason. But dude, that is that it's so well said. And actually, I just, again, I said this was selfishly because I love, we, it's Cinema Story we have, like people will come into our, you know, circle of, you know, company and we'll put out, we put out call sheets differently. They're not the standard, yeah. like, Here's your address. Here's the, you know, like your standard narrative, you know, call sheets, sides that you get. It isn't like you don't, you're not in on everything, right? right. So we, you know, corporate commercial, you can kind of let people in on more. Yeah. And one thing that sometimes we don't always communicate is why, right? right? Which was, we always ask the, our clients, but it's great to be like, hey, everybody, they need this film to convey this because that's the win for them. And yeah. then you got everybody on your side to help with that creative process. So man, we're going to we're going to be making a little addition to the call sheet. Great. Love it. Um uh, another question that I think and this is this takes this kind of pivots a little bit from um only just DP work, but you know, what are some of the struggles um that you've experienced working as an artist but also in the business sector mm. because you know, you help out on the business side. Cinema story, like we we say a lot, like you know, if we had divided, it's art and business, but we cross over a lot. You know, I love when I get to be on film and direct with you, and I get to do the art, right? And then uh, I think you love to uh, sit with me, and we're talking about the next, you know, strategy or campaign or or even a product line that we're going to launch, right? So, yeah. you know, how do you find um, a balance as an artist um, in the give and take? And I think you can even relate it to film sets too, because yeah. You know, you're talking about vision, and then maybe that's two artists, though, right? A director and a, you know, but on a corporate set um, or a corporate project, sometimes there is those business limitations. It's like, hey, I've got to get this in this amount of time. I I can't give you 
even an hour to set up what you want. So get me what I can in an hour, yeah. right? And to be set up for this interview or be whatever, right? Yeah. So um, how have you balanced that in your mind as an artist, but then also as a business person, whether you want to talk about it on set or even offset? And how important is that piece in your success as a filmmaker yeah. for other people listening? You know, at the end of the day, we're in show business. And if all we're doing is focusing on the show and not the business, the business is going to fail and we have no show to present. And so uh, I think, you know, working on the back end of a production company has given me a lot of insight to that and challenged me in a lot of ways. But I think at the end of the day, problems um, in our industry are solved with either money or creativity. And, you know, you can bring more funds to a project that solves problems or you can get creative and solve them through another another way. And, you know, we were talking right before this about an issue that we're having in our company. And I'm like, hey, well, here's the solution. And you're like, yes, but the problem is money. And so it's like, well, how do we go back to the drawing board and we get creative with our solution? And so I think a lot of times just entrepreneurs in general have to be creative in creating strategies that solve the problem of not having enough financial resources. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when, when you're on set and, and time is the issue, well, creativity is the solution. If you're in pre-production and, you know, you need enough crew to do a certain creative task, then money to hire the right people is the solution. And so I think if you have, you know, if you're constantly weighing the scales in terms of like, how much money can I bring to something while, you know, bringing enough creativity to support the vision or how can I limit my, money, but bring enough creativity to a project to make this possible. Then you're talking about someone who's really talented in balancing out the scales of doing what's needed to be done. And so always just trying to bring creativity, uh, within confinements, um, to replace what money can buy, uh, I think is, is kind of what I have tried to bring, you know, to out to weigh the art and the business mm. during production. That's good, man. It is a, a tightrope walk. It's yeah. uh, it's difficult, you know. It is a, uh, uh, you know, it's the good, fast, and uh, cheap. Uh, pick two, uh, baby. Yeah, pick and two. Sometimes you can only pick one in right. situations, <laughs> you know. And it's like it's hard. Yeah. So uh, yeah, man. But okay, I you know I, I know we're getting tight on time. I but I would be wrong if I didn't jump into two things that um, you've kind of head up in the last couple of years. And I want to touch on those briefly. Yeah. So enough value adds for everybody else. I want to jump back into a little bit of you and, and I think it does provide value of why you do these things. So, you know, one thing that you've, um, really head up and, and, uh, helped start. And we did this together was this podcast, right? So, you know, tell me a little bit about like, why did you want to start the rough cut club podcast? What was your vision behind it? And then, what has been the value now, right? Because I think it's yeah. changed from like, you know, we had some, I think we had some really great ideas and why, and and I'd love to hear yours again now, but uh, what value has it brought to your life mm. now? You know, this podcast, we had, we had actually started talking about wanting to do something similar um, years and years prior to when it actually launched. And I think that the only reason that it even happened is actually, you know, honestly, dumb luck uh, in terms of having a client uh, that, you know, he's one of our VIP clients and, and we do a ton of business with him. We love him. Um, 
but he actually contracted us to build this studio for him. And this, you know, in full transparency, isn't only our studio. Um, Shout out Brian McCauley. Shout out Brian McCauley, man. Brian is the goat. He's the guy. He's the real McCoy. And he is a good friend of mine and just super generous. Um, And we, we got the opportunity to build this studio for him. And, you know, he pretty much told us, like, you're always welcome in the house that you built. And I was like, dude, this is super cool. Like, I just designed um, a podcast studio from the decor to, you know, all of the equipment that's used to bring this to life and got the keys to the kingdom. And and I kind of looked at you and I was like, there's no reason now why we shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Like, we've automated everything. We've made it a turnkey setup for him and we have access to it. So let's go and do this and kind of, you know, set out on it a little bit blind in the beginning as to what we were really, Mm. really, 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 really getting into. Oh, yeah. And uh, but it's been good, man. It was like at at the end of the day, like I have always loved um, when I have a podcast that I listen to prior to this, like the connection I have to the host and the co-host and at the the guests at the end of it right mm-hmm. because you can follow someone on social media and you get the yeah da 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 da, da here's the 30 second sound bite and I'm out you know what i mean mm-hmm. but when you spend an hour with somebody and you really get to hear like how their brain works how their business works how they're setting their self up for success and doing what you're doing uh better than you like you really get to know these people and i think that there's a lot of value in people Um, you know, getting to know us and getting to know the guests that we have on the show. And like, you know, even when people see little clips, uh, (laughs) you know, like I want them to know, like I have a family at home and like the guy that you're like talking down on this project to me about or whatever, like this, like I'm a real human being, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, um, or, or some of the wins that I've had, like have happened from a place of like struggle and, Mm -hmm. you know, like you get to really see like the come up of, of somebody and get to connect with them. And so their wins, their losses, they all feel a little bit more like you're in on the human connection with that person. And so I love, you know, I do love being able to teach the art and the business, but I love being able to connect with not only the other people listening to the show, uh, but the guests as well. It's like, I'm furthering the human connection with, you know, other filmmakers who are more talented me than me in one arena or another, or just bring a different perspective to something or the listeners that have checked this podcast out. Like I've been able to, you know, connect with people and they've given feedback on like, man, like this was, this was really cool. And we've met some people from the podcast that are now part of our team. And Mm -hmm. we've met some people, we've had some people on the podcast that we've done projects with. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's been a really great networking opportunity um, to build more real human, authentic connections, uh, with people that allow you to make art, um, and do it better or to get more fulfillment out of the art that you spend time making. Love that, man. I I've learned so much from being on this podcast, not only the human connection, the networking, just the, even the friendships that we, I feel like we've established on this podcast. Um, you know, we've hung out with people anytime our guests are in Dallas, we're like, come by, come see us. Let us buy you a drink. Let us buy you a dinner. Uh, let's just talk. It's that shared human connection. I think we're all more similar than we are uh, different on one level. Yeah. But then also hearing how uniquely different we all are. Yeah. And that is so cool because it's like what makes you you and 
Eric Thane and, and Thomas Totter and, and all of these, you know, guys yeah. and girls on the podcast, and we go, the uniqueness of who you are, I can respect and yeah. maybe even learn something and take from it. But then also the similarities of like, oh, okay, so we all struggle with uh, droughts and, and feast or famine. You know, even people you think are at the top, they're like, yeah, and then you're waiting to, for your phone to ring, you know, and people that are working in Hollywood, you yeah, know, that, dude. and they're like, yeah, I mean, this happened. A writer strike. Pff, what do you do now? Right? right. So it's just super interesting. And I think that that really helps you mentally continue in this because, like you said, social media is great for its own reasons, but it's a highlight reel. And so right. it is easy to watch all of that and go, oh, I'm never going to be. This or the, well, yeah, everybody's putting out their best, you know, right. 30 seconds. Um, I okay, I gotta jump into this other yeah, yeah. thing that you did, uh, just this last year is that uh, the alchemy event. Okay, I want to call it a festival at this point, we might as well call it a festival. Tell me a little bit of uh, you know, what uh, what was that like? What, yeah, what did people experience, and, and then why did you want to do this? Alchemy was probably one of the crazier things that I have done in my career. Um, I, uh, I really spearheaded leading a team of people, uh, a small team of people to in a three month time frame, bring a like 300 person event together, um, with full entertainment, food, alcohol, everything on basically a $0 budget. And, uh, it, like the event itself put, could have easily cost, you know, close to probably, what do you say? 30, 25, 20 to 30, 30, 30, yeah, 20 to sure. 30 grand. Um, you know, venue alone was almost 10 and, you know, there was just, uh, to paint this picture really well for those that have no idea what it is. Uh, we basically had artists of all different dif disciplines from, filmmakers to photographers to models to clothing designers to musicians to tattoo artists i mean uh the list kind of goes on and on but we really wanted to unite creatives from all different disciplines together under one roof to come together and celebrate art mm. and so we put this event together and uh basically made everything free for everyone mm. uh and so entry was free uh, oh, and skateboarding too. I, I, I can't forget. Can't leave out skateboarding. Um, but yeah, man, we had like a small skate park built from Four Down and Alliance Skate Park mm. uh, partnership. Um, we had musicians that were all independent musicians come out and perform. Um, a DJ there. We had uh, models there doing live photography. <clears throat> um, you know, clothing vendors, and we were allowing everyone to have vendor booths for free. And it was like, everything here is going to be blood, sweat, and tears on my end so that it can be free for the art community. And we put this event together and what I feel was a massive success. Uh, and just everyone that went to this event said they had never been to an event like that. Mm. And when you really like slow that down for a second and think about that, like how, what a wild statement to have never attended an event like that, mm. you know? And, I think it's such a big win for the community and the uh, and the vendors, man. All come yeah. like you said, um, four down the the venue. Like once you spoke vision, you know, we went to these meetings. I went with you and we'd pitch yeah. them and say, "Hey, you know, this is what he's thinking. This is what we want to do. This is what it would be like. Do you do you want to do this with right. us? You know, and and people just being like, 
sounds awesome. Like, yeah. Yeah. Wait, you're not trying to sell anything. You're not trying to, you're not trying, there's no, like, there's no like ulterior motives here. You're not going to give a presentation about a timeshare afterwards. <laughs> right. right. No, you seriously. know? And so I think, uh, that was so fun to see that. And then like the, the feedback, um, from the guests, you know, and yeah. the vendors too, you know, these vendors got to, you know, they did get to sell stuff right. there and they're like, dude, I made bank at this. And, and yeah. people got connected photographers with, artists, you know, influencers, uh, musicians, uh, plus we had great food, great drinks, yeah. uh, you know, all of lots of stuff was, you know, the, the drinks and food were free. There was, you know, a, per, a purchase thing outside, but it was, it was awesome, man. And I can't wait to see where potentially hint, hint where that will go in yeah. 2024 and the following years. And, uh, if you're a venue or vendor out there, holler at your boy, Joey, yeah. at Joey Nicotra, uh, so we can, uh, maybe start talking, uh, and plugging that idea. But I got to wrap this episode okay. up, uh, cause I know we could dive more into alchemy and the podcast and man, we've only scratched the surface of your career. I greatly enjoyed it. But before we wrap you out, I've got three questions we ask holler every at your boy. guest. And the first one is, if you go back in time and mm. do everything differently, what is one thing that you can change that you would change? Yeah. You know, I think that I think that in my career, I kind of, <laughs> there's a lot of things that I probably could have done better, but I think that, you know, I kind of wandered into my career a little bit blind to the steps in a way needed to really elevate and climb. And I think that earlier on, I would have reverse engineered what other more successful people who were living the creative life that I wanted to live were doing to get to where they were at. Like I would have analyzed mm -hmm. the playbook earlier. Um, like there was kind of this um, youthful, like beautiful picture of like just creating to freely create and making whatever art I wanted to and then going, Oh, like, let me, here's the next business strategy. And, you know, mm. but I think I earlier on, like much earlier on, I would have analyzed the playbook to really be more successful in what I'm doing. Cause I, there was always like the hard work that piece was always there. Um, the risk taking was always there. But I think that, you know, that's also one of one of my biggest regrets, I think, in skateboarding is that I always just skated and I never analyzed, like really, really analyzed and said, this is the path to becoming a pro skateboarder. Like, yeah, I want to get good. I want to make videos. And that was kind of it. It was very like simplified, watered down version. Um, but I think I would have gotten more serious about like this, this, this in this time frame. Um, and same with filmmaking, like I would have mm. taken the steps to say, I need, or I should take this more seriously to set some real finite, very specific, hyper-focused goals in a certain time frame, and put those limitations on myself so that, you know, some of the things that really advance your career don't just get continually procrastinated. Mm. So. Mm. That's solid. Speaking of more, because I think people can take away uh, that little piece of advice, but what's a, what's a piece of advice that you give a filmmaker to grow in their craft or business? So many. I know. We teach the art and business of filmmaking. I got a million. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, one piece of advice. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? The hottest thing 
you know, I could, I could go through like a rap sheet, you know, of, you know, just start shooting. Don't worry about the gear, you know, all the ones that people have probably heard before. But I think the one thing that would really move the needle the most is not neglecting to learn the business side, Mm. you know, at, at the same time early on, because we get so focused, um, you know, in loving the art that learning the business side quickly gets, you know, brushed to the wayside. And I've talked to so many artists that they're still not even doing their taxes properly. Mm. And, and like, they're still not operating under an LLC and they're doing all of these things where it's like, bro, you would have so much more just like happiness and fulfillment um, to make your art if you had spent the time to properly set up your business in the first place to where you're not constantly paying unnecessary taxes or getting burned by clients because you didn't collect, you know, on the front end. And um, some of the stuff you got to learn along the way, and that's great, but so often people neglect to learn the business. And I think that I would have, and I, I, I did kind of learn it earlier on, but I think that if I could give that piece of advice to someone, you know, yes, watch the YouTube videos on, on learning the craft and continue to do that, but don't, don't neglect spending time to learn the business side as well and learn how you can do better client relations and negotiations mm. and, you know, all of these things as an artist, you have to learn to do your art well. Mm. Make it practical. How? How does how do people learn the business side? You know, I mean, you're the sum of the five people that you spend the most time with, right? Mm. And so for me, like I undoubtedly have learned a ton from spending time with you and just mm. like hearing like something be shut down, but why did it get shut down? You know, mm. you have to have people around you that are challenging you to, you know, to grow in those areas. Mm. And so like, if you're spending time, I mean, dude, even Brian McCauley, right. We mentioned him. Like I spend a ton of time working with that guy and he is a brilliant, brilliant financial, like real estate mortgage loan officer. And I'm able to learn a ton from him just about how to set up my business and Mm. different entrepreneurial tactics and like spending time with him has inspired me to be a better businessman. Mm. And, and so I think like, you know, if you're spending time with other people, um, and asking questions, bro, like how many times have you not gotten a question answered because you just never asked someone, Mm. you know, how often are you like trying to fight to figure something out in your business? But it's like, when did you ever set up time to do a consult with someone who knows it? Even if you got to pay to learn it, like, putting the effort forth to take a course or, you know, to, I mean, get on YouTube, bro. Like YouTube university has mm-hmm. it all. And so, man, just putting that, making it, taking an effort to surround yourself with people and to educate yourself. It's, it's, you don't have to boil it down to something more complex than just that level of effort. Yeah. Love it. Final question. Holler at me. Who is one filmmaker you admire and why? Hmm. I think that, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of funny, but you know, we just had Tom Totter on the, on the show, but (laughs) him and Jacob Owens have made a really, really tremendous impact on me and my career. Like I've watched their journey, um, you know, starting out on YouTube, making music videos and, 
you know, building these businesses. And, and I think that probably more than anyone, I have been more inspired as a filmmaker from watching them. And I think it's just opened up the, open up my eyes to what's possible, um, as a filmmaker and like, yeah, creating beautiful images is great and all, but like, there's so much more to filmmaking. There's the entrepreneurial side, there's the business side, there's, you know, the fulfillment and everything. And they've, uh, they've been putting out free game for us for, for years. And so I've probably learned and grown more from them. Um, just as like on a big picture level, I think there's, I think there's been DPs that have probably challenged me, um, more than them, like on just like that level. But I think overall from like a creative filmmaker standpoint, big picture, like Jacob Owens and Tom, man, they've paved, you know, they've paved some really, really exciting new ground for filmmakers to, you know, just make money in film locations and products and digital assets and, you know, uh, doing the cool projects. Like even when they were just filmmaking, you know, it's mm -hmm. like they, they definitely played a big role in, in, in uh, inspiring me. Dude. I loved Tom's uh, episode because he was so transparent too. Yeah. That was one of those like, Oh man, we have all the, we have these struggles and you know, you, you, you're at the top, but you still deal with these types of things. And he had so much great advice and and go check out that episode yeah if you haven't seen it and then jacob we're coming for you in 2024 yep. Jacob's gonna be on the show man can't wait for him to be on the show we're excited we got a lot of great guests coming up but man talk about a great episode today meeting the host joey nakotra my business partner my buddy my friend thank you for spending some time spitting some game i learned a lot on this Love show it, i learned a lot on this show and like i said i learn on every show and I'm like, you know, I've heard a lot of this stuff that, yeah. you know, because I, I, you and I run together all the time. Right. But I learned a lot, man. I think it's there's cool. a lot to unpack from this episode. So uh, we appreciate it. If people want to get connected with you, Joey Nakotra, how do people get connected with you? Um, where, where do you want them to reach out? Yeah, man. Instagram is always the best way. I don't even give people business cards anymore because I'm like, if we really want to stay connected, just hit me up on Instagram. Follow me. I'll see your life. You'll see my life. I'm a DM away. Hit me on IG at J-O-E-Y-N-I-C-O-T-R-A and you can holler at me whenever you want, baby. All right, all right. Well, that is a finale on episode. I don't even know the number, so I'm not going to say it. Thanks again for being on the show. And for those listening, thank you for watching the Rough Cut Club. Bella in the studio, thank you for switching and being our great producer on the show. And for all of you, we'll see you next time on the Rough Cut Club. <laughs>